I'm Matt. And I'm Jenna. We are Mana. And this is Food for Thought. A podcast dedicated to encourage and inspire you as you seek to grow your relationship with Christ and live out your Catholic faith. In today's episode, we are talking about the different stages that we can encounter in our relationship with God, specifically passion, disillusionment, and joy, and how to really encounter each stage. Music coming from the printer. Do you you don't hear it? No. Oh dang it! The paper must be jamming again. <laughs> la, 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 I totally la, didn't know that that was gonna be a joke. La, la. I thought you were like we're gonna have to start over because the printer is. Wow. I almost messed it up. Hi everyone, welcome to episode twelve. Twelve. Um. Yeah. Let's. Oh, get right into our joy junk Jesus. Oh, I didn't even think about you. Go. Um, so my <laughs> joy is um, we have another supporter on Patreon. Our Patreon, not Patreon. It's um, a new new thing. Our good friend Natalie. So shout out to you, Natalie. Thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon. <laughs> Thanks, Natalie. And if you're listening, you can support our show financially for as little as a dollar a month. And uh, we would really appreciate it. You'll get some benefits, especially as we design merchandise and things like that um which yeah. is in the coming months which is very exciting so um and you get to you know send us your suggestions for episodes and everyone can do that so please email us at manafoodforthought at gmail.com or visit our website manafoodforthought.com for all that but anyways that's my joy and all just the constant support and feedback that we get from all of you is so awesome to hear my junk is um we just bought a house which is not junky that's really awesome but um, we're trying to renovate it in two weeks. And so there's a lot happening, a lot of moving parts happening. And it's going to happen. I'm confident that it's going to happen in time. But it is so crazy right now. Um, yeah, I don't even know which way is up at the moment. Um, and But my Jesus moment <clears throat> is just all the... Um, I don't know if you guys experience God this way, but like when all these, all the little details of something fall perfectly into place yeah. or like, it just seems like something that is so scattered or crazy just like falls together. Like, and you look back and you're like, that had to be God. Cause like, there's no way that could have happened. That's been happening so much in this whole house renovation, new baby on the way process, like everything that's been going on. Um, I just, I've been experiencing God so much just in the way that things are coming together. So, yeah. What about you, Jenna? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I didn't take time to think about my joy joint Jesus. So, sorry if this is all scatterbrained. My joy... What was my joy? I have a couple different joys. I tend to do this. I have a couple joys always. Um, which is good. But one of my joys, I love my husband. He ran into a fence the other day while um, playing Capture the Flag with our teens and knocked the whole <laughs> fence over. So that's one of my joys. Because I keep re- playing, replaying that in my head when I need something to smile at. And it's just so funny. Um, but we also had my family over for Easter. And that was a joy. Let's see. My junk... I wonder how many times I've said I've been sick on an episode. <laughs> Since we started. It's been a, one perpetual cold. I'm sick again. <clears throat> it sucks. 
and this one's holding on for dear life but it's been beautiful at the same time because Tony's also been sick and so we've been sick together at home and I don't know how many people would say that's beautiful but I, well <laughs> this this chapter right now was good this good. was a good good little season of sickness just because we got to be together um, during a very busy schedule and so uh, we just got to do like random stuff like watch the office together yeah. and stiffle and sit on the couch and be like whoa we don't <laughs> feel good um and so what did i say that was my that was your junk my junk that's good because i was gonna say it was my jesus moment too but i'll pick a different one kind of made it sound like it was also your jesus moment. it's kind of my jesus moment um no my jesus moment is um that even though i had a really bad lent i just didn't do lent well um i woke up the other morning and sat and did continued my reflections um from lent and started reading my daily readings again through my bible and um, journaling and that was just a really beautiful jesus moment of taking a second to pause and sit outside um and encounter jesus in the word and just know that even though i suck sometimes jesus still loves me <laughs> in the grand scheme of things that describes all of us Good. so yeah it's true though yeah, so but that kind of relates jesus. to what we're talking about today it is yeah so today we are um talking about the different stages or chapters we have in our relationship with god and this kind of started our this conversation started because i um for myself have been in this really funky season that I can't really figure out. And I think that's why I felt like my Lent was so bad. Uh, but I went to confession with um, a priest. and That's good. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't Matt. I didn't go to confession with Matt. It wasn't my I was going to say Father either. Mark. I was going to shout out to Father Mark. I don't think he listens to us, but it's cool. He's an awesome priest. Um, and he was just, he just told me like, you know, it's okay. It's okay if we have these funky seasons because Jesus is telling us to lean into them in a different way. And we had a, a conversation about it. And so that's why we're talking about it today because I feel like a lot of us have these different seasons and we don't really know how to equip ourselves or we don't really know um, why we're going through them. And we tend to just give up and think that, dang it, I'm just, nothing's happening. God doesn't love me anymore or we're not connecting anymore. And so we kind of just let it fall to the wayside because we don't really know how to encounter him in those seasons. So we're talking about that today. So in relationships in general, um, we have three different stages that we can be in. The first is romance. So the romantic, like lovey dovey mm -hmm. stage that we, um, can be in, which we see in relationships of just, um, when you start out, yeah, it's also called Dating. passion, so it's not necessarily just like have to a be. romantic relationship. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't have to. It can be, a, you know, you just met somebody and you both are clicking yeah. so well and loving yeah. each other and everything about the person you think, oh, we're so similar and this is so good. And then all of a sudden you get into this stage called disillusionment and the little things that you really, really enjoyed are now annoying you. Mm -hmm. And there, it's a little bit harder. It's not a little bit harder. It can be a lot harder. Um <laughs> And then the last stage is the stage called joy. And we cycle through these three stages 
um, throughout our entire lives. We just keep going in them and whatever relationship we're in. And we tend to do this with God where we're in one of these stages and, um, these stages can be different lengths. They can be sometimes really, really short or they can be really, really long. It just depends on who you are and what chapter you're entering in your life and what you're ha- what's happening in your life. Um, but we oftentimes don't recognize them and we oftentimes don't even know that they're happening yeah. in our faith life or in our relationships. Yeah, I think it's so important to know these. Like where this comes from is um, my, my wife and I's marriage prep. Like the marriage prep that her and I did they talk specifically about these three stages as it applies to a marriage. And they said, you know, um, every single relationship cycles through these three stages from passion to disillusionment to joy. And then it cycles back around. And if you're not aware of that in a marriage, especially Mm -hmm. that when you get to that moment of disillusionment, like our culture is so ready to just turn to the fix of divorce, the quote unquote fix, um, which isn't a fix. It's, you know, a complete tearing apart of the relationship. But when we can see that actually disillusionment is a phase of a relationship and can be actually a very fruitful and healthy phase of a relationship if we identify it and can recognize like, okay, this is what's happening right now. How do we be present to each other? How do we learn to love one another in this new stage in life? Um, That can save a lot of our friendships, our marriages, our relationships, as long as there's that mutual sense of, you know, we know these, we're aware of them, we're talking about them, and even if things aren't great right now, we're going to work them out. And so we kind of saw this as like, this is really comparable to our relationship with God. And, you know, like when you're in the beginning, when you're learning about your faith, when you have that big conversion moment, it's all about that passion and you're excited. But then eventually you get to this point where it's like, I don't quote unquote mm-hmm. feel God anymore, yeah. you know, and we always say like God's more than the feeling, but still like it's important to have that experience of him being on the other end of this relationship. And so when we don't feel that it's not bad. And that's the main thing we want to, for people to be comforted by in this, this episode and to know is like wherever you're at in your relationship with God, you're still on that cyclical path. You haven't derailed, like you're not. You're not worse than everybody else. And it's easy to look around and see like everyone is doing so well in their relationship with God because you only see the highlight reel. You only see what's on social media. You only see when they're at this, you know, great event. Um, We don't often have that opportunity to be vulnerable and share like, hey, everyone, let's just talk about how much our relationship with God sucks this week. (laughs) You know, like that's not ever like small group question number one, you know, like, but that's kind of what we need to be, what we want to make real and people aware of in this episode is like we all have that like consistently constantly sometimes for people's entire lives they feel in that that stage of disillusionment and that's okay and that you're not doing something wrong what needs to happen is you're identifying that and you're learning how to be in a relationship that's in that phase yes so let's start at the beginning the romance or passion stage um This is like the puppy love stage. So I see this as the first time that anybody can encounter Christ. Like at the very, very beginning, we get very, um, oh, I just love Jesus. And we wake up in the morning and we're like, everything's going to be so good (laughs) because I love Jesus and Jesus loves me. And it's okay to be in that stage. Obviously, that's a good stage to be in. Um, It changes as we develop and as we grow. That stage is always going to change for us. But it's that just initial beginning of this passion and this, like, I want to go out and stand on street corners and just preach about Jesus because nothing can hurt me and nothing's going to harm me. And we tend to forget in this stage that 
Satan is really, really smart. Mm-hmm. And that he's also really, really patient. And he can wait for those moments to um, really jump in and attack us. Because in yeah. this stage, I feel like this might be, at least initially, the most vulnerable stage that we're in sometimes. Mm-hmm. Because it can really take us from the extreme of being so passionate to so, so, so feeling far removed from God. And he's really, really good at that and and whispering those lies and saying, you know what, but does God actually love you? Because look at this bad thing. And then we get into that disillusionment phase and into that um, pulling away from God and actually questioning God. And it's, it's similar to Adam and Eve in the garden of them being in this phase of romance and passion with God and then Satan jumping in. Yeah. And questioning and looking and saying, did he actually say that though? Are you actually going to die? And for even Adam to be like, oh wait, you're right. And questioning yeah. and sending them into that disillusionment. Yeah, I think it's important to recognize like it's it's great to have that passion, but there needs to be depth to it. And so like when yes. you're in that moment when you're like, I feel totally on fire today, the biggest caution is to not get complacent in that place. To not be like, okay, everything's great. I don't need to work on anything. Like to still be thinking about like, okay, what is my pattern of prayer? What am I doing that's disciplining me and setting aside time in my day, no matter how I feel, even though I feel great right now, so that I can be prepared well for the moments that I don't feel great later on to still be getting spiritually fed, to still be spending time with the Lord, even if him and I are in a fight or even if I'm in the midst of a decision um, that I'm not really liking the disillusionment I'm feeling at the the tension of this decision. And to recognize too, like you may go through all three of these phases um, in one particular event, one particular day in the journey of one decision, but it's also cycles that you'll go through your entire faith life. So it's it's also like in the very particular parts of our faith and also in the big picture of our faith. You're going through them in different in different phases. But I think that's something to be aware of for that passion part is like if I really look back at the times when I was really passionate about my faith, it was all kind of centered around an experience or a realization. Yeah. Yeah. And once I hit that, it wasn't like it didn't really propel me forward enough to be like, yeah, I'd be like, yeah, I want to read scripture. I want to read the whole Bible. And then I get into it for maybe a day or a I'd couple days. Uh-huh. And then like that, the, the passion wouldn't fuel me further. Um, or I wouldn't be looking for answers to more questions or really doing more research. Cause I'd found some realization. I'd be like, oh yes, I've got it now. Like me and Jesus are great. All my questions have been answered and I'm not pursuing further depth. And so I think my caution from my experience in that phase would be, you know, don't forsake passion for depth and don't allow the passion to um, let you become complacent in your faith. I actually kind of like the idea of, I know you're saying passion, I'm saying romance. It's the same stage. Promance. Promance. Romshin. No. Romshin? No. Paroshinance. (laughs) No. No. But the idea of almost separating the two and like it's the same stage, but here's like within that stage, the two different kinds of stages you can be in. Yeah. You can be in the romance where it's the puppy love and not diving in deeper. Yeah. Or the passion that you could be, it could be sending you into a deeper prayer. Not as deep yeah. as if 
you know, when we get into talking about disillusionment. I think maybe but, considering it as like passion as the verb and romance as the adjective. Like yeah. passion is what's driving us in this, yeah. but romance is the feeling that we have in a sense. Mm-hmm. You know, I avoid using that word because like for, for me as a, as a man, like it's more difficult for me to see, to know what it looks like to have a romantic idea of God. Yeah. Even though God is both, like he's not gendered. We call him father as a familial type of, because that's how Jesus revealed him to us and he wants us to know him as daddy, Ab, Abba, father, and the our father. So that's a sense of familiarity. But there are plenty of times in scripture where Jesus, I mean, not Jesus, where God is given um, feminine qualities. But we don't talk about that often enough. And so I think for me, that idea of romance, like I can, I can wrap my head around it, but I know there are probably going to be men listening who are like, I don't know. Why do you like, keep saying romance? I don't want to be romantic with a dude, you know? Like, And so I... I think both of them, yeah, you're right, have their merit, but they probably are describing slightly different things in that phase. Yes. In the marriage prep, it was passion. So if you've ever done this before or heard yeah. these three, you probably won't hear it as romance, but I think that's a good quality to be also applied to it. Um, St. Margaret Mary, she said, until we have acquired genuine prayer, we are like people teaching children to begin to walk. And I really like that mm. applying to this because we tend to sit in this, just like we've been saying, in this stage and it's very childlike it's very mature it's very um we there isn't a lot of growth within it um we tend to get so in each stage we can get stuck yeah we can get very very stuck and it can be a very long period like we said at the beginning so we can be stuck in this very immature stage of our relationship with god that doesn't get further that doesn't go anywhere and then it makes us feel like if anything little happens that we kind of panic and we freak out and it's Mm. like why no 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 no. we have to stay here we have to stay here we don't understand the concept of growing and moving um like a child like kids have tantrums because sometimes things change and they didn't want it to change and so they throw a tantrum we can't get stuck in this childlike phase and throw a tantrum because our life is changing or our faith is changing yeah it can be easy to believe that health and wealth gospel that you hear preached in a lot of like evangelical um televangelists or evangelical churches where um if you believe in jesus everything is going to be good and great and you're going to be healthy and your whole life is going to come together there's not a lot of room for suffering in that type of of evangelical message. And so I think if we get lost in that, um, it's easy to kind of be, to go into disillusionment and get stuck there forever. And so I think it's also important in this phase to have people who ground you, who bring you down to earth. Like spiritual direction is really good to help like, okay, like let's, this passion is great, but like, let's get to the meat of like, really who is Jesus to you? And like, what, what is laying beneath the surface of that passion that could come up and um, kick that out of its kind of shallow um, depth and yeah. replace it with something else. Now, if you think of like um, like you're pregnant, my wife is pregnant, like we have this passion excitement for the fact that baby's going to be here. But if we're not talking to people who have children, if we're not like facing the reality that like it's not going to be all butterflies and rainbows when baby gets here, if we're mean? not taking classes, like we're going to slip into delusionment so fast and crazy that we're going to... And I think that's why like, that's one of the big... Um, driving forces behind like postpartum depression that and like difficulties with breastfeeding and and not having that you know um, the the mother-child connection is different there's a lot of different factors but I think part of it um, and I think part of the reason why men can also get it by by proxy is that 
reality is like this is not how i thought it was gonna yeah. be same thing with marriage like if you're following god's plan for marriage and chastity and you're not living together before you're married you're not um engaging in you know any type of sexual act until you're married because you understand the depth of it and you want to wait for um you, where you can really give your full self to that yeah, other person the beauty of that that also creates um a, a potential reality for you to be really have like this huge wake-up call to it not being super great and get disillusioned very quickly if you haven't really talked about you know what this is going to look like which is why marriage prep is so important you know why um, pregnancy classes are so important and then why learning more about god and exploring that in spiritual direction scripture the teachings of the church is so important so you're grounded in something that when you get to disillusionment you're prepared we're really no i was gonna say something mean um <laughs> I don't know how to, I'm trying to think about, like, we're not, I don't know, we love, we love being in the puppy, like, the puppy love, or the, um, this stage of just being unaware of things, yeah. because it's easier to be unaware, I was just thinking about all the classes that we've taken already, and how unaware we have been yeah. of things, and we're Plus, not, you're never challenged, No, you know? you're not challenged, and, but we're not saying at the same time, these stages, that you have to move through them, and, like, if you're in one stage, you have to get to the next stage. Oh, yeah, don't, this isn't, don't think that. This isn't a, uh, a thing that you're like, okay, in order for me to progress in my relationship with God, I have to get to the next one, and yeah. then the next one, and the next one, and keep continuing. No, th- we're just saying acknowledge where you are right now because God wants you to be in that chapter and to dive into that chapter. And eventually you will probably move on to this next chapter or this next stage and it'll be a different season of your faith life. Don't try and force yourself through these. Okay. I'm in the passion. Now I need to do disillusionment and like try and throw yourself into some crazy pain or suffering or something don't do that i'm thinking of that episode of monk where he goes through the five stages of grief in like one minute and then keeps repeating them over and over and over again because he has obsessive compulsive disorder but like i yeah you can't there's a purpose in each stage and god is meaning for you to encounter him in a different way in each stage and so if you're seeking to move through it like if you want that feeling back if you've ever said that I don't feel God. I don't feel God. Why don't I feel God? Like I want to feel God again. It's probably because God doesn't want you to feel him. He wants you to recognize what happens when you're in this disillusionment phase. How are you going to encounter God when things get difficult? When uh, discernment doesn't go your way? When decisions that you really think are in God's plan for you aren't and things turn out differently? Like how is all of that going to work out? Um, And how are you really going to going to know the the crucified Jesus, the suffering Jesus in those moments when you're really walking with him in that suffering if you don't recognize that you're disillusioned. If you're just looking for the passion and the joy, yeah. you're going to miss out on I think most of the if we really take an honest look at all of our faith lives, most of the big moments in our life where we learned a lot about what Jesus was doing or who he was and how he's working happen in moments of disillusionment, yeah. in moments of intense suffering, loss, grief. Um, all those moments when we don't feel God or we don't understand or we're lost or confused, but we really just are persevering and trying to seek him in that, that's when the biggest amount, in my experience, of growth and conversion can happen. That's why passion and joy are there. You know, yeah. If disillusionment wasn't there, the other two wouldn't be there either, and we'd have a beige, bland faith for our entire life. You know, yeah. So I think that's an important thing to, to be aware of. Yeah, so move that... That leads us into talking about the stage of disillusionment, really. So we get into this point where we realize that everything 
<laughs> isn't okay or everything isn't as like shiny and glittery as we thought it was. Um, and we tend to kind of give up in this phase. This is the phase that we see in marriages a lot that yeah. people get stuck in and they don't know how to get out of. And so then they give up. Um, so this is the stage that typically a lot of us just kind of give in and don't um, really dive into the suffering that this stage can allow and this growth that this stage can allow. Um, and I know for myself right now, I'm kind of in this disillusionment phase and I don't really know why. And so that's why we were going to talk about this topic is because, um, within confession, I was talking about this desert feeling, this feeling of like not wanting to pray, not really wanting to do what I know I need to be doing. And, um, the priest just saying, if that's okay, we still need to enter into those things and we still need to do these things. But within this moment, God is calling you into a deeper relationship with him. That is more than just fluff. Yes. There's more than just feelings. That's more than just, um, doing the things that you know you should be doing. Mm. And so really within this phase, it can be a phase that we've gotten into because we've lost somebody because something monumental has happened and we don't really know how to handle it. We don't really see where God is working within these moments oftentimes. And so it causes us to really question and really doubt and, um, to feel a lot of darkness and just a lot of fear that we don't really know how to handle. And then when we do pray, we feel like maybe God isn't listening to us mm. or we don't really know how to, for myself, as oftentimes, I just don't really know how to put my feelings into words sometimes. And so when I get into these these stages, I just kind of sit and look at Jesus and be like, I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just don't yeah. know. And we just kind of stare at each other, which is good. But um, we just get, we can get stuck in this stage because of our fear and our doubt. And then also just our um, self-unawareness mm. of really what our heart is doing and um, not really understanding what God is doing within this yeah. stage. I think you can also look at these stages in terms of communication. So like mm-hmm. um, when in terms of passion, like in romance, if you think about any relationship, you're really like exchanging information that's like shallow, you know, like uh, not shallow, but it's like basic, you yeah. know, surface level information. Uh-huh. First date, you're not talking about like, I mean, it would be awesome if you were, but like, you know, what are what are your greatest fears? Like, what are the obstacles that you see in the, the passions and the dreams that you want to pursue? Like, you know, um, stuff like that. You're talking about, like, what you do for a living, like, what, what you like to do in your free time, what yeah. type of person you are. And then when you get into disillusionment, there's almost a sense that, like, I'm the only one talking here, or yeah. we don't have any more to talk about, or, um, you know, there's not, like, on that. on the same page. Yeah. And, and joy is when, like, we'll talk about that in a second, but when, like, you're both, it's a fruitful conversation and you feel, um, so. it's two-sided and you feel there's fruit coming from it. Yeah. Um, and so I think disillusionment is that an opportunity for us, even though we don't feel God, to maybe hear God in a new way, you know, like, or, or talk to him in a new way. Yeah. Maybe, like, you've just been giving him surface level things and then suddenly something difficult happens or suddenly you don't have the warm fuzzies anymore and to go to him and be like, look, like, I don't understand why this is happening. So, like, let let me, let me dig a little deeper here and let me have some real time in contemplation, yeah. in silence, in reflecting on who you are and allowing you to speak to me maybe in scripture 
Um, because a lot of times that passion comes from an experience, maybe like a retreat, an XLT, um, a really um, awesome confession, maybe a moment in spiritual direction. And those things don't happen every day. Um, it'd be great if they did, unless you're a priest, then, you know, especially like one who does all that stuff all the time, you know, has like, you know, really um, lives in a, like a monastery or life that does the liturgy of the hours every day on the hour. Um, things like that. But for most of us, you know, 99.9% of the population, those things don't happen every day. And so recognizing like, um, man, like God and I are not where we were and that's okay. Yeah. Um, and I think there's like a hesitancy to talk about this because we don't want people to think like, oh, I'm not, I'm not being faithful. I'm not doing Catholicism right I'm not being a good Christian (laughs) because you know I don't feel I don't feel like I want to go out on the street corner and scream the name of Jesus um I want to go in my closet and scream the name of Jesus in a different way you know like but there's you're very frustrated and you feel very alone and and empty and lost and I think it's because we're trying to pursue God in the way that we did in the passion stage while we're in this disillusionment stage and God is like, no, I want to do something different here. I want, I want you to know how to encounter me in the moments that are difficult in the moments that aren't warm fuzzies, because that's where real depth and growth happens. That's why there was the passion of his ministry all the way up to the disillusionment of his crucifixion and then being realized in the victory and joy of his resurrection. And then, you know, the early church went through that same thing. You have Look the er- at that parallel. Yeah. You have the passion of the early church, then you have the persecution, and yep. then you have the joy of Christianity yep. being the world religion, basically. And then you continue and continue and continue. And it happens in individual lives, in single decisions, and in whole area like eras of the church. And I think um, recognizing it is such such an important step. And seeing, okay, how what what did I do before that wouldn't work now? And what can I try? Yes. Not trying to force something that you've been doing to work again or to yes. work in that moment if that's what you've been doing this whole time to change it up. But I think this stage can also be the stage that a lot of us start to question and to um, really push our faith and say, wait, is this actually what I believe? Or is this actually what Jesus said? Why did he say that? Or if we're questioning a point or a topic in the church and we don't go past that questioning and go into the, okay, let me find the answer to this and really dive into this. I see this a lot with my teens that they get, maybe they go on retreat and they have that passion phase with Jesus. And then we present them or somebody presents them with this question and they don't know how to answer it. And then they become into this panic stage of like, wait, do I actually believe this? Yeah. And they get really scared and then they don't know what to do. Or they get lazy and they're just like, I'm just going to give up. I'm just done. Yeah. They, they question it. It's too hard. Which is oftentimes how we feel in this stage. It's just too hard. Yeah. Um, we don't move past that or we don't dive into finding the answers or trying to find a new way to pray that is going to really challenge us. But for myself in this stage of disillusionment, that is really what's happening for my heart is that I've just been superficial with God for Mm. too long right now. And God is really calling me into this. Okay, where are my walls? Where are the things that I've put up that I haven't recognized? How do I break those down? Because it's a process. Um, And where are the places in my heart that I've blamed God for Mm. pain or suffering? And how do I um, 
not forgive God because it, he didn't cause that pain or suffering necessarily, but how do I like rewire my brain to recognize that he's going to bring joy out of that suffering? Yeah. And because we're made in the image and likeness of God and the fingerprints of God are in creation, like this disillusionment phase can also be a sign that you're disillusioned with yourself or disillusioned with the world yeah. um, and allowing that to creep into your prayer life and your relationship with God. And this disillusionment phase is such a fruitful or opportunity for fruitfulness for you to really do a self-examination often and ask like, okay, what, what really is at the heart of my need for God? Because we all have a need for him. We need a savior. If you were born with no need for a savior, you would die immediately and go right to heaven. Like, well, actually, no, you would still need a savior to get to heaven. Yeah. So not even, we all need him, <laughs> but some of us just need a little bit longer to figure it out. So you just didn't need to figure it out. You were like, I got this, you know, going there. So that's why we call those people saints, you know? <laughs> um, but I think that is such a, an opportunity that is so wasted often. Um, you know, we can't apply the superficial little things that we did in the passion stage. Not to say that passion isn't important or less than, because you need that. You need that driving force, that inspiration. You need that to drive you and to really help you learn again. And once you know what disillusionment looks like, that passion can drive you into dis disillusionment with kind of this fire to really be with Jesus in it, yeah. on the way of the cross, you yeah. know? So like things in this stage that uh, like would be awesome. Like pray the stations of the cross. Um, like it, disillusionment in that stage is like your own personal Lent. Like when that's happening, like really do examinations of conscience, like go to confession, really have a spiritual director that you can go talk to and be like, this is why I'm feeling this way. I feel like my relationship with God is terrible and they can help you walk through that. Like, okay, why, why do you feel like this, this line of communication is, is not the way it was. Um, What's really standing in the way? What's your biggest obstacle right now? And can really identify maybe ways you've made assumptions about your faith life and how it should look. Ways that you are trying to force something, like Jenna said, that no longer is working for you. And have permission to try something different. Yeah. But not to just... This is also a way we can get complacent. Um, you can get complacent in all three of these stages in different ways. But we can get into that moment of disillusionment and just be like, fine, I'm not going to try anymore. And that's why I think this happens in so many marriages where it results in divorce, where suddenly the butterflies are gone, suddenly um, the passion's not there anymore, and it's tiring, and it's waking up in the middle of the night to feed a baby, and it's frustration because you're keeping score when you shouldn't be, you know, that type of thing. And it's easy to just be like, why am I even trying anymore? And to recognize, like, actually what beautiful things could happen in our marriage, in our relationship, if we really allowed ourselves to look at this and learn from it and grow in kind of suffering together and learning how to communicate when things aren't great. Um, yeah, I think that could be so fruitful. We are not, we're a society of, if it's too hard, I don't want to do it. Or yeah. if there's suffering, I, I'm not going to be a part of that. Yeah. We don't really enter into the suffering at all. Oh my gosh. I want to do a whole episode on this, but like <laughs> I've been, I've been thinking about the, the transcendentals, truth, goodness, and beauty Oh yeah. and how you think about, if you think about the opposites of those truth, goodness, and beauty, we probably say like falsehood, ugliness, and uh, evil. But in reality, those aren't as, as distorted versions of those transcendentals as other things that really permeate our culture. So what I mean is like, it's the hot and cold mentality. Like 
if someone is completely on the other end of the spectrum, they're at least completely enveloped in that. And it could take just a tiny turn to get that passion to drive them all the way back to the opposite. So if someone's life is completely about evil, like if someone is a Satanist, you know, they, they're pursuing that. There's action there. There's movement. The real distorted versions of those, uh, the distorted version of truth is not evil, it's tolerance. Because it requires no action. Mm. The distorted version of good is not evil, it's comfort. Because there's no action. And it's just everything is comfortable. The distorted version of beauty is not ugliness, it's glamour. And you see those things like tolerance, comfort, and glamour. That's our whole culture. Yeah. And it's like, that, when you're in that disillusionment phase, that's all you're looking for. Yeah. You're looking for comfort. You're looking for things that look glamorous because you, you don't want to put in the effort to really do the work. And you're kind of just tolerating everything that's going on because you don't want to try anymore. And we have this in all of our relationships, in our culture, and it can seep into our relationship with God. And we can start not caring about, you know, who he is or what the church teaches, not caring about organized religion, quote unquote, um, not knowing what to do when things get difficult and wanting our relationship with God to appear a certain way instead of being truly beautiful, even if no one can see it. St. Patrick Pio, he says, you must speak to Jesus also with the heart, besides with the lips. Indeed, in certain cases, you must only speak to him only with your heart. Mm. And I feel like this is the stage that we need to be speaking to God only with our heart. And being truthful and genuine and honest of, okay, Jesus, (laughs) this is, this is it. This is my ugly heart. It's ripped up. It's beaten up. Um, I just don't know what to do with it right now here you go mm-hmm. and allowing him to work and to speak to you through that um and just to sit with him and i love what what saint is it that says um when he was asked what do you do in chapel or like saint john do, Vianney. when you how does how does he say it um someone asked him what do you do in adoration all day and he says nothing i just look at him and he looks at me yes this is the stage that i feel like we really need to do that yeah is really just looking at Jesus and knowing, looking at the cross and looking at that suffering and acknowledging that our ways are not God's ways, obviously, (laughs) and that we need to really enter into these moments of suffering because um, God is going to bring fruit out of it no matter how ugly it is, no matter how distorted it is, no matter how painful it is, he is going to bring something out of it. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about, talking about this with marriages too, but like, our spouses yeah. aren't here to talk about the other end of each one of our individual marriages. So I think like talking about our friendship could be beneficial because yeah. like, there are definite moments where you and I probably felt disillusioned with the other person. Yeah. Like frustrated. <laughs> yeah. Frustrated. <laughs> yeah. Or like, you know, <laughs> like I just, I need a break from hanging out or, you know, I don't know what it is. Like, right. I, I know, I know what mine is and you probably know what yours is, but like the ways that we get frustrated with each other. Uh-huh. But then the moment you and I just like sit down and can hang out, even if we just sit there and don't even talk. Yeah. Like immediately, like the, those things don't matter as much, you know? And I could go into hanging out with you, having coffee, like so beyond disillusioned, like I don't even know why Jen and I are friends. And then leave and be like, that was the best ever. You know, like, because like you're putting in the effort and you're not letting the difficulty of the relationship or like not feeling like the benefit of the relationship in the moment rob you from really having joy in that moment. And I think that joy doesn't become a phase that we suddenly arrive at. It blossoms out of disillusionment. Mm, I like that. But I like that you said that we have to go and meet each other. Yeah. Yeah to 
encounter each other within this stage. Otherwise, it's the equivalent of divorce. And like, then literally, like, yeah. But we do that. We do that with friendships. We do that with people. We do that um, so often because it's so much easier to just ignore it and to not uh, acknowledge that maybe you messed up or maybe yeah. you're not actually genuinely entering into these relationships, yeah. um, especially one with God. And it's really easy to kind of avoid God and yeah. not encounter And if him. you go back and listen to that friendship episode that we just did, we've got a lot of good feedback about that episode. But there is something in there about like um, if the other person is only ever asking you for things or something like that. Ooh, like yeah. that could be a stage that they're in the disillusionment phase or that you are. But I think that's not necessarily – it doesn't give you permission, A – to allow that to happen and try and find the joy in it. Um, but B, it also doesn't mean that the relationship is over. I think the important thing about these stages is, do you have permission in this relationship to communicate about it? And so if you do, then that's a, a reason to continue the relationship. So Jenna and I, like, we can get as frustrated as we want with each other, but we know that like anything goes in our conversation. And we can bring that up, and I can tell Jenna if she's being a jerk, and she can tell me if I'm being a jerk. And we know that like at any moment, we can, can do that. I can be a major jerk. <laughs> and, and normally, we call ourselves out, I think, before we call each other out, because we just recognize, based on how our relationship is, is so good in the sense that like we recognize how we're affecting the other person better and better the more we know each other. Yeah. You know, so I think the more we're recognizing that with God and knowing he's always going to be giving on that other end, that that relationship never needs to end. We just need to work through it and show up just like you pointed out. Yeah. Um, in the book of Job, which poor Job, but in the book of Job. <laughs> I feel like we always say that. Poor, poor Job. Job. But maybe he had the most joy because he had the most disillusionment. That's the thing. He, he says, slay, slay me though he might. I will wait for him. And it's this recognition that God is God and he has the power. He has the power to take away our life, to give life, to all, do all these things. Um, but, and we are his children and that we just have to wait for him. We have to wait in these moments and we just have to sit with him and be with him no matter what is happening in our life. So when these things happen, when we get into this disillusionment phase, um, it leads us into, like you said, this blossoming of joy and out of this suffering, out of this desert of being in this relationship, we get to this point where everything all of a sudden just comes together and we recognize where God was working on our heart, that God is healing this moment, that God is doing these things. Um, and I really like, we had we just had this reading the other day, the, the healing of the paralytic, um, that this paralytic, he's been in this <laughs> this place, this being paralyzed um, and taken to the temple every single day by his friends or these people. And he's been placed there, but he can't get past that point until the disciples come mm. and heal him yeah. and give him, see him. This is Peter healing the man at the beautiful gate? Yes. Yeah, okay. And heal him and see him. Um, and sometimes that's kind of our... In that moment of disillusionment, we need those encounters and we need those moments of joy and those moments of healing. And that's yeah. going to take time. Yeah. That's just like that paralytic had to sit there for years. And he sat there. I don't even remember how many yeah. years it said. I mean, it could have been just as easy for him to say, I'm just going to stay home. Yeah. And just as easy for his friends, friends. not to exactly. you know, call him out. But he exactly. had that good community, which is also really important. Yes. So getting to that point where... Um, we are receiving that healing or we are receiving those moments of, of recognizing God in these things and uh, receiving the joy out of them and going into this stage of joy, which is true joy. And it joy is something that um, 
we like to say is um, similar to gold being purified by fire. Mm. So we can't have true love if it, love is not tested or love is not something that um, we look at and we... Oh, what am I trying to say? I don't know what I'm trying to say now. Yeah, like gold doesn't come out of the ground pure. <laughs> yes, thank yeah. you. That's what I'm trying to say. And just like no no love is born between two people that doesn't require testing. Testing and, and growth yeah, and growth. purification. Yeah. So we enter into this stage of joy with Jesus and with God in our relationship. Yeah, and that can look so many different ways. But I think the the main thing is just that recognition of like God is mine and I am his and this relationship is two-sided there's depth there's recognition and that um that kind of fuels you back into passion you know and these things happen simultaneously like I said I don't think that like you suddenly arrive at a stage I think they all kind of blossom or grow out of the previous and lead you into the next it's just like a circle of bridges you know like there's you're constantly like in between or right in the midst of one, but then the other one's right, you know, around the corner. And it's just a matter of being willing to have the flexibility, the docility to the spirit to know that like, just like we shouldn't make this excuse in our churches, we're doing this because the way it's always been done. You shouldn't make this excuse in your prayer life or your relationships. Like I'm doing this because it's the way we've always done it. Constantly looking for new ways to encounter God that are fruitful, that are, um, life-giving that are spirit feeding that are nourishing you right where you're at today yeah. and just because it worked for you yesterday doesn't mean it's gonna work for you today and just because it didn't work for you 10 years ago doesn't mean it won't work for you now so I think um, having that flexibility and knowing like okay things are in their proper order and you talked about this last time the joy the acronym Jesus others and you yeah um, you know so you can go back and listen to that episode but knowing that Jesus is our first priority yep. Um, and that he's not putting us at his lowest level of priority, which we can see, sometimes believe in disillusionment and, um, or passion where we're like trying to get him at that first level of priority. But it's pretty easy because it's normally set up by an experience where all the other priorities have kind of been pushed down and then they slowly start to creep back up. And that's what gets us into that disillusionment. And so I think joy is that recognition like Jesus comes first. Um, he's my priority and everything else stems grows is made more beautiful from that yeah and this joy stage is not obviously an easy stage to either to be in just because it's not like it all falls in place and everything's easy now now i can (laughs) pray actively and it's easy for me to do that but it's still that work and that process um let the hearts of those who seek the lord rejoice and i love this because we have to be actively seeking seeking God within the joy. Mm-hmm. We can't just be like, oh, it's going to fall into my lap. Is and all of a sudden, one of the psalms? I don't remember. I didn't write it down. <laughs> I know. It sounds like a psalm. It does. Um, psalm 151. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, hmm. I forgot where my brain was Sorry. going. It's okay. But just this, this stage of joy, we still need to be actively seeking God. We need to be looking. That's why I love our joy junk Jesus is because it causes us to look for the joys in our week and see where God has been working. Yeah. Um, Actually causes us to call out all three. All three. Junk's our disillusionment. Jesus, yeah. our passion, you know. Or actually, joy would more be your passion because it's just like a surface level excitement thing. And yeah. then Jesus really is our joy. But that's confusing because one's called joy, but it's not joy. Whatever. But you know what I mean, people. It's okay. You're listening. So- <laughs> So within 
I don't know, within all of this, we have, I have an activity that I like love to do with my teens. It's, we call it the candle activity. If your church does this, you call it something else cool. But um, it's, it's probably 9,000 things called candle activity. Because if there's one thing Tony, we all have in churches, it's, it's candles. candles. <laughs> Tony's church used to call it, or call a candle activity something completely else. So every time I say it, it's like, oh, we're doing that one? No, 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 no. Um, the candle activity to me is where you just light a candle and you put it in the middle of the room and you say that um, Christ is the light. Christ is that candle. And you give an op- them an opportunity to really recognize where their relationship is at with God and to either sit really, really close to the candle if they feel like that is um, where the relationship with God is or really, really far away from the candle if that's where they feel like their relationship is. Yeah. And doing that activity, you don't necessarily have to light a candle in your house and just be like, all right, I'm going to move close to it or move far away and like leave the room. But it's for a good physical, minutes. spatial thing but, to remember yes. because then you can look back the last time you did it and be like, oh, I remember how far it was instead of it being this concept in your mind. Yeah. So <laughs> you're sitting outside in the parking lot. <laughs> hey, that's okay. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. <laughs> but um, doing this activity to really recognize and see, okay, where is my relationship? What stage am I at? Because we could say that the candle is like the passion stage in the middle or even outside, way yeah. outside is the disillusionment phase and the joy can just be kind of somewhere in between. Yeah. Um, and just acknowledging, okay, where's my relationship? What stage am I at? What do I need to be doing? Um, where do I need to work on my heart? Am I where I'm super surface level and I just need to really dive into this passion and dive into the things that Christ is calling me into in this moment? Am I in the disillusionment phase where I need to really be truthful, like I'm extremely open and vulnerable and see, okay, well, I mean, we need to do that in every stage, but, and see what walls I've put up or am I in this joy phase and how can I share that joy? How can I um, enter into this all stage? Wow, my brain <laughs> slowly taking a downfall. To kind of sum this up, like, the comfort in knowing that like God is never going to be a disillusioned with you and he's never going to be a relationship where you have to be afraid of bringing what you feel. Sometimes like if we're not good at communication or our partner or a friend is sensitive, like it can be hard in the disillusionment phase if you're not in that practice to really talk about what's going on and you kind of have to like be sensitive and tiptoe around it. You don't have to do that with God. Like you can lay it all out there. He can handle it. He handled far worse than anything that we can say to him or give to him um and he handled it for us and so i think knowing that like we have a someone who is willing to receive anything that we give him um being able to come to him in those moments of disillusion disillusionment and just be real and talk to him about what we're really feeling and then when we have those opportunities in community in small groups in someone asking us how we're doing in our relationship with the lord to not fall into the temptation to just act like everything's fine because that's what a good Christian would do. But to recognize like, this is an opportunity for me to be real and maybe give this person permission to know that they're allowed to feel like this too. And there can be fruitfulness in that. Um, and so someone who is amazing at this personifying these stages with their life is this really obscure saint. You've probably never heard never of heard of her. Her name is St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Um, so she is awesome. If you probably all know her, she's a saint that a lot of us grew up with. 
um, or you've at least seen pictures of her because she's a very modern saint. But she's a patron of World Youth Day, the Missionaries of Charity, Archdiocese of Calcutta, along with Francis Xavier, and her feast day is September 5th. Um, she was born, her name um, is Macedonian, I think, Anyeze um, Gonshe Bonshayu, I think was her birth name. Uh, she was born August 26th in 1910, mouthful. I know, um, in Uskup, which was at the time was the Ottoman Empire, and now it's in Macedonia, which is right by like Albania, Bulgaria, Romania, in like southeastern Europe. Um, so she was baptized actually at one day old. That's pretty cool. Whoa! Yeah, one day. Didn't waste any time. Um, Her father died when she was eight, and by 12, she was hearing stories of missionaries and decided, like, she wanted to enter the religious life. So when she was 18, she left home to join the Sisters of Laredo in Ireland, and she basically wanted to learn English there so she could be a missionary. Um, So she arrived in India in 1929, so she was 19 years old, and took first vows in 1931, so at 21. She took the name of Therese of Lisieux, which is why she's Mother Teresa, mm-hmm. but someone else had that name already, so she just changed the spelling. So if you've ever wondered why she doesn't have an H, it's oh. that's why. Um, so she took her solemn vows in 1930, yeah, 1937, so she was 27 years old. And so she was a headmistress at a school for a little bit um, in eastern Calcutta, but she really started seeing the poverty and a lot of the famine and some of the violence in there was a Muslim Hindu conflict in the 1940s um, starting to have really detrimental effects in the area and really wanted to serve that. And so she became a missionary in um, 1948 and she heard what she called a call within a call Mm -hmm. when she was on a train in 1946, a couple years earlier. Um, And so... Why we wanted to talk about her, I'm going to talk a little bit more about her life, but that call within a call was basically the last time in her life where she felt that sense of passion or maybe not joy, but passion in her faith. The whole rest of her life, the next 50 years of her life um, is referred to now, which a lot of people know as the dark night, her dark night of the soul, which is a phrase that's made famous, I think, by St. John of the Cross, which we talked about in a previous episode. Um, And so for 50 years... She recounts in her journals and her writings, which was pretty uh, confrontational, (laughs) controversial, that's the word, controversial when they were published in 2007. It was in a book called Come Be My Light, if you want to read them um, firsthand. But people were like, oh my gosh, this super holy person who seemed like she was totally filled with joy all the time really didn't feel God for 50 years um, and experienced that disillusionment. But the beautiful thing was she kept pursuing Jesus. Even though she didn't feel him in the way that she did on that train. Only one other time did she. And that was, I think, at the funeral mass of <clears throat> Pope Bias Twelfth, who she really admired. Um, but um, despite that, she founded the Missionaries of Charity in 1950. And in her lifetime, they grew from 13 to 4,000 um, members. And so they take normal vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. But they take a fourth vow, and that's to give wholehearted free service to the poorest of the poor. Um, which is awesome. And you've probably heard so many stories about her in the leper hospices of her picking up people off the street with like open wounds and sores from leprosy. Um, you know, I remember one where she, she was very short, like four foot 11 She's or something like that. Lady. Hoisting, like firemen hoisting a leper off the street, laying them in a bed in the hospice and saying, you can die now, Jesus, you can die now, Jesus. Or one story that I heard recently, a man was helping her um, bathe the leper and he was so disgusted um, and he just kept doing it and then suddenly saw the person of Jesus, like saw mm. Jesus as the leper. 
and his whole disposition changed and she walked back in the room and noticed it and she said, you saw Jesus, didn't you? And like she just had this concept of seeing Jesus. She was so used to the disillusionment that she knew how to see Jesus in it. And so the joy was constantly blossoming out of it, but she never really felt that sense of connection that she felt in that initial passion. Um, so she, she ended up being fluent in five languages, Bengali, Albanian, Serbian, English, and Hindi. Um, and she spent most of her remaining life in India. She made occasional trips outside of India for humanitarian reasons. So some of them, in 1982, in the siege of Beirut, she rescued 37 children <laughs> okay. trapped in a frontline hospital okay. by negotiating a temporary ceasefire between the Israeli army and the guerrilla army of the Palestinians. whatever yeah like little four foot woman serious so um she also um she was accompanied by red cross workers she traveled through the war zone and she helped evacuate the patients um she helped assist the hungry in ethiopia radiation victims at chernobyl when that disaster happened at the earthquake in armenia the big earthquake she was there um and by 1996 so she was 86 at this point i think that's it might be the year that she passed away yeah um or no the next year but in 1996, she had um, 517 missions operating in over 100 countries. Crazy. She won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1979, and she refused the banquet um, and said that the cost, which was $192,000, should be given to the poor in India. Like, she's just awesome. Um, but in that lecture, everyone gives a lecture when they win a Nobel Prize. She said this, what can we do to promote, promote peace? She answered, go home and love your family. <laughs> Building on that theme, she said, around the world, not only in poor countries, um, but I found poverty of the West so much more difficult to remove. Yeah. When I pick up a person from the street hungry, I give him a plate of rice, a piece of bread. I have satisfied. I have removed that hunger. But a person that is shut out, that feels unwanted, unloved, terrified, the person that has been thrown out from society, that poverty is so hurtable and so much. And I find that very difficult. And I think that speaks to the sense that she knew the disillusionment that people experience. She lived it and she saw the desperate need for people to be able to recognize that and be able to encounter God in the midst of it. Um, She also had a lot of health issues toward the end of her life. She had a heart attack uh, when she was visiting Pope John Paul II. I don't know if it was out of excitement or just out of... (laughs) And then she had a second attack a few years later. She had a pacemaker put in. She had pneumonia, more heart problems later in life. Um, she fell, broke her collarbone a year before she died, then had malaria and another bout of heart failure and heart surgery. And so her health was declining, but she kept, she kept serving. And then finally they let her step down as the mother of the order. And she died uh, September 5th, which is her feast day in 1997. She was 87 years old and died in Calcutta. Um, and so she said part of that dark night of the soul, one of the quotes in my soul, I feel that terrible pain of loss of God not wanting me, of God not being God, of God not really existing. And so I think if you've ever felt that, like she, Mother Teresa is someone who can be a powerful intercessor for you. She understood the nature of darkness, of her own darkness, and she recognized it as part of her vocation eventually. She would go so far to say that she loved the darkness because it was, quote, a part, a very, very small part of Jesus's darkness and pain on earth. Yeah. Um, what a beautiful gift, a beautiful example of how to operate in these stages. And so 
Mother Teresa, pray for us. St. Charles Borromeo, pray for us. And we pray that this episode is beneficial to you. Please share it with anyone you think could benefit from it. Like and follow on social media. Make sure you rate and review this podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you listen to it. Um, Go to our website. You can comment on the episodes. You can email us. You can contact us there. Give us information or suggestions for future episodes. And again, you can become a Patreon supporter for as little as a dollar a month. Go to patreon.com slash thought, and all the details are there. Um, If there's any way that we can be praying for you, any suggestions that you have for episodes or way we can improve this podcast for you, please let us know. But until next time, we will see you in the Eucharist. Bye. Bye.